Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. This morning, <laughs> you guys are my most favorite people on the planet. Oh yeah, Compass Kids, you can go ahead and be released, Compass Kids. You know, when I wasn't a believer, I actually used to despise believers, Christians. I used to think they were weak, they needed this invisible, made-up God to fulfill their lives as a crutch. That's what I used to think of you guys. That's what I even thought of my parents. But God arrested my heart, captured my heart, showed me his goodness, delivered me from self-hate, from self-harm, from alcoholism. He transformed my life, and now my favorite people on the planet are the humble, meek believers that just love Jesus. They might not have a lot of money in their bank account. They might not be able to do anything for me, but they're my favorite people on the planet because they love Jesus, and they're beautiful to him. Therefore, they're beautiful to me. That's you guys. I just want to say that before I start. So the title of this morning's message is Moving God's Heart Through Oil, Wine, and Water. Moving God's Heart Through Our Oil, Wine, and Water. And just a heads up, we're probably only going to get through oil this week. Next time I preach, Lord willing, we will look at how we can move God's heart by giving him our wine and water. And if this title seems a little mystical or hard to understand, I get it, but that's okay. Just bear with me, and I trust by the end of this message, these realities will be opened up to your heart. I truly believe that this title will make a lot of sense by the end of the message today. And we're going to leave with practical understanding and tools that we can apply to our daily Christian life. Now, by a show of hands in the room, who knows this church's concise vision statement? And a little hint, it's written on the wall right out when you come in. It's the first thing you see when you come in the doors. There it is up on the screen. It's only seven little words if you add that word and in the middle. Move God's heart and change the world. Move God's heart and change the world. Just seven little words that are packed full of meaning. And I just want to say thank you Pastor Glenn, my dad, for obeying the Lord's command to Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.2. When the Lord told Habakkuk, he said, write the vision and make it plain so that people who read it can run with it. They They don't have to slow down their jogging pace to read the vision and make sense of it. That's how plain and simple God's vision should be for a church. And that's why I had that little picture of me reading a piece of cardboard. Didn't have anything on it, but it was good for the picture. You don't have to slow down when you're walking by to see those seven words. Well, today, as an intentional church family, using that phrase very intentionally, as an intentional church family, we're going to slow down a little bit and actually peer into the first three words of this concise vision statement here at River in the Hills Church. Move God's heart. What does that mean? Now, we may not have to slow down to read that, those seven words, but it is good at times to slow down to process and meditate on this vision statement, and that's what we're going to do this morning. 
Essentially, moving God's heart, those first three words, is our rephrasing of the first and greatest commandment that Jesus gave to the church in his answer to that crafty Pharisee in Matthew 22. That crafty Pharisee in Matthew 22, he said, he was a lawyer. He asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in all of the Bible, in all the law, which is the great commandment? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said this, on these two commandments, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus was saying here that the weight of the entire Bible with all its commands, statutes, precepts, teachings, and prophecies, the whole Bible rests on these two foundational pillars, these two essential commands. I love it. I love how simple it is. Jesus even gave us a simple, concise mission statement there. Well, I can confidently and genuinely say after seven years of taking part in various church-sponsored activities here that this church is indeed built on these two foundational pillars. That's what you should look for in any church. Are they built on these two pillars? Our church's mission statement is essentially the first and second commandments written in seven words. Move God's heart and change the world. Loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first part of what's written on that wall out there, moving God's heart. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is the same as that second phrase, changing the world around us. So again, this morning, as an intentional church family, we are going to slow down and dissect what the Bible has to say about those first three words written on that wall, moving God's heart. Now, how in the world, this question might be coming up in your heart, even as you've read those words over the years, how in the world can little old us move the God of the universe, move the heart of the God of the universe? How can we, who are sheep, who are prone to wander daily, make the God who is already endlessly happy somehow even more happy? How is that possible? especially in our brokenness. How can folk like us, we're all folk, how can we bring real enjoyment and real pleasure to the heart of Jesus, the one who is already the definition of joy? Well, if we're honest, depending on the day we're having or the warfare and witchcraft we might be enduring in a certain season, this is a biblical reality that can be sometimes hard to believe. But I'm here to tell you there is hope for us who struggle to believe this reality. Now, what's the basis for my hope that we actually can move God's heart? The basis for my hope that I have is that there is a rock-solid, unarguable argument all throughout the Bible that this is true. This idea that we can move God's heart by just little old us is plainly seen many places in the Bible. And this is what gives me the hope and confidence to first ultimately receive and believe it myself. It always starts right here in our hearts. And then second, to preach and proclaim it with boldness to you guys and to impart this reality. That's my goal this morning, to impart this reality that we really can move God's heart.
And I can say this with boldness because, again, it's a reality that's plain to see all over the scriptures. In fact, the Bible informs us in Revelation 4 that our whole being, our very existence, was designed by God to bring him pleasure. Look at this verse from Revelation 4. Our entire existence was designed to bring the God of the universe pleasure. See how valuable you are to him. Revelation 4, thou art worthy, O Lord. We're going back to the King James because it has the word pleasure in there. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power from us. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, they are, they exist and were created. Everything you see, including you, little old you, was created to bring God pleasure. Do we believe this? Do we believe that our whole existence, even in our weakness and frailty, do we believe that even the fact that we woke up this morning was to bring God pleasure today? God wanted you to exist. He's upholding you right now by the word of his power. Every breath, every heartbeat is his will and his pleasure for you and ultimately for him. Now, before we launch into the various ways that we can move God's heart through the oil from our lives, I want to pray for all of us to have great hearing ears this morning, the ears of our hearts, so that we can experience a great increase in faith in the scriptures, so that we can access the endless heavenly riches contained in the storehouse of the scriptures. Romans 10, 17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I'm gonna pray right now and just open up your hands, even close your eyes and open up your hands and just receive fresh hearing ears for the written word of God spoken through my mouth. Holy Spirit, would you help us? Lord, would you open ears in every hearer's heart in this room and online? Lord, would you open my ears, the ears of my heart, to hear your word with fresh understanding, with fresh insight, with fresh impact, so that my daily life can look more like you. Lord, would you transform us into your image by hearing your word. Help us this morning. Open our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's look at how we can move God's heart through our oil. Now, about two months ago, I was worshiping along with a song from Upper Room that really grabbed my heart in a fresh way. It was the song entitled, Pour My Love. I think Marissa's going to sing it at the end here. But here's the lyrics that grab my heart. Abby up there at Upper Room was singing, Like oil upon your feet, like wine for you to drink, like water from my heart. I pour my love on you. Like oil upon your feet, Jesus. Like wine for you to drink from my life. Like water from my heart. I will pour my love on you. As I meditated on each line, I saw that each line was backed up by scripture. The Holy Spirit was flooding me with scriptures and stories from the Bible for each line that was really moving my heart. And I just saw that These are three really practical ways that we can move the heart of God. Oil from our lives, wine from our lives, water from our lives. 
And thankfully, the scripture, like I said, backs up each of these lines. So that's what we're going to look at. And I'll just say this. Because this song was rooted in scripture, that's why my heart was transformed. (laughs) Songs rooted in the Bible are what transform the human heart. This song affected my heart and even transformed my emotional chemistry by the end of that song to look and feel more like how Jesus was feeling in that moment. That's what anointed, biblically rooted songs do to our hearts. Does anyone feel better after worship (laughs) or during worship? That's because our songs are rooted in scripture and you're singing them in faith and the Holy Spirit loves the Bible. He loves to magnify the truth of the Bible. He loves to magnify Jesus. So let's look now at how the Bible backs up the first line of that chorus, like oil upon your feet. We'll first look at John 12 with the familiar story of Mary. I wouldn't say Mary. And yes, this is a familiar passage to us in this community. Maybe some of you are hearing it for the first time. Praise God. Maybe some of you have read this or heard about this passage a hundred times. But since Jesus literally promised us that Mary's act of devotion would accompany the telling of the gospel everywhere the gospel went in the entire world, I believe it's a story that is hard to overemphasize or overpreach or look at too much because Jesus made a really big deal about it. Jesus literally said this in Mark 14. He said, assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the entire world, what this woman, Mary, has done will also be told as a memorial to her. He's saying, Mary's story has to be told whenever you tell about me. Now we're going to see why he made such a big deal about it by looking into it. This should awaken our hearts to really pay attention to what Mary did, though. Think if you did something, and then Jesus is like, wherever you tell my story, you got to tell what this person did. That's, an, that's a powerful act that is full of layers of meaning that we're going to even just peer into a little bit today. But there's so much more. I could have done the whole message. I could probably do a five-part series on just this story. So we're going to scratch the surface a little bit, but hopefully it whets your appetite to go deeper in the life of Mary. And I just even felt during worship that phrase, it's in the Gospel of Luke, but about her life, she was forgiven much. It says of her, out of her were cast seven devils. Seven demons came out of her. She was forgiven much. So what was the result of that? She loved much. And I just have a feeling for everyone in the room, that's a word. You've been forgiven much, so you're called to love much. Your life is supposed to look really extravagant because No matter what, even if we're like my grandma Sarah, who's been saved since five, she's forgiven much every single day. (laughs) Versus my testimony where I almost drank myself to death or pretty much did. We've been forgiven much, therefore we're called to love much. There's no higher call than to love much when you realize how much you've been forgiven. Okay, John 12. Then Jesus came to Bethany. There they made him a supper and Martha served. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pound, everyone say a pound, a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus with it, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
The oil of spikenard here represents Mary's costly and extravagant love and devotion expressed through her sacrificial worship and prayer. And just like a really good perfume or cologne or essential oil pleases our senses and brings joy to our hearts, who's had their senses pleased by a good smell, a good aroma? Maybe some of you are sensitive to cologne, I understand. Maybe just a good smell in nature. Think about that. It brought joy to your heart. Think about the heart of Jesus. So too the heart of Jesus was pleased and moved by Mary's costly and extravagant offering of worship and prayer and devotion. Now this oil was her dowry. It was her inheritance. Her very livelihood depended on this alabaster box of oil. It was worth about $60,000 in today's money. It was a whole year's worth of wages was in this pound of oil, fragrant oil. That's how extravagant it was. It's like writing a $60,000 check and putting it on the feet of Jesus. And you're poor. That's all you have. That's your whole inheritance right there on the feet of Jesus. Now, the timing of Mary's anointing is what I want to look at today. The timing of Mary's anointing was just a few days before the cross. Jesus himself realized that Mary knew what she was doing. Jesus saw that Mary knew what she was doing. She was preemptively anointing his body for his impending death and burial. Only Mary knew that Jesus really was going to die. All his disciples denied that fact. Only Mary got it because she loved him that much and actually listened to his word that clearly. And just think of it. If you were doused with the pound of fragrant oil, we know this with, on the negative with skunks, okay? We know this. People smell like skunks for a while. Dogs smell like skunks for a while. We know this in the negative, but imagine a pound of cologne or perfume poured on you. You would most likely smell like that specific fragrance for at least a few days, probably at least a week. Well, we know it was for sure within a week that she poured this oil on Jesus before his crucifixion. So we can rightly surmise that Jesus smelled like Mary's devotion throughout his crucible of the cross. With every blow and cut and piercing that Jesus experienced, there was a fresh release of that fragrance of spikenard that reminded Jesus of Mary's extravagant love for him. She knew what she was doing. Every blow, every cut reminded Jesus of Mary's all-in, fully devoted heart of love. (laughs) What an offering for Jesus. What an act of devotion this was. And this brings us to a, a bigger reality. The fact that Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus actually endured the cross. He never quit on the cross mission. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. Because of the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Now, what was Jesus' joy? Could it be that Mary's oil was the tangible expression and manifestation of the joy that Jesus would, in the future, and with Mary presently, but in the future, have fully devoted lovers like her from every tongue, tribe, and nation for all of eternity? Was Mary's oil the down payment of this reality for Jesus? And he was getting a whiff of that every moment the wind blew or a cut came? Could it be that every whiff 
of Mary's fragrance gave Jesus that extra courage to persevere and endure the torture of the cross. We know that the Father's face was turned away on the cross, which was the most crushing reality for Jesus. But he had that fragrance, and he had the promise in his heart of the whole word of God, knowing that what was promised for him. Did this help him to know that all the pain would be worth it, that he would get his inheritance of Mary's all over the earth? Now, maybe some of these meditations that I just brought out give more clarity as to why Jesus made such a big deal about her act of pouring her oil out. Jesus was making a point to us (laughs) when he made a big deal of Mary. He was making the point that the gospel should produce, here's the takeaway, the gospel should produce this type of response in the human heart. This is the example, the prototype, a response of gratitude, forgiven much, love much. This is the only worthy response to what the gospel does in the human heart. A response of love and total commitment expressed through a daily spikenard spilling. A daily spikenard spilling is what God desires from us. Mary is the prototype believer who obeyed and lived out the first and great commandment, and one we should all emulate ourselves. And drilling it back to the main point for us today, we see clearly from the story that we really can positively move and affect the heart of Jesus through our simple but costly acts of worship and prayer. When we give Jesus real time out of our schedule, real long hours sitting at his feet, listening to his word as we read the Bible, or singing our songs of love to him in the prayer room, or praying prayers of faith, we are giving him something costly. Why is it costly? Because it's time that we're spending. Time is money. (laughs) And when we give Jesus our time, we are giving him our most valuable resource. This moves him. This is the idea of opportunity costs in economics. The formal definition of opportunity costs is this. It's the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. Say another way, it's the cost or value of what you give up in order to get something else, or in order to do something else. So when we choose the alternative of saying yes to giving Jesus the oil from our hearts of worship and prayer and attentive to his word, we are saying no to every other alternative. Our yes to Jesus means a thousand no's to a thousand lesser beauties and lesser things that would grab our heart. Living a life like Mary of Bethany is costly, but it's oh so worth it. Pouring the fragrant oil of our love and devotion on his feet, expressed through worship and prayer, is what pleases his real senses now as he is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. Remember when Mary poured the oil of spikenard out, John said that the fragrance filled the whole house where they were eating. Well, guess what? Guess where Jesus is right now? Right now, Jesus is in a real place. He's in a real house in heaven right now. Jesus is currently in his Father's heavenly temple, his Father's heavenly home. And Revelation 5 ties and knits this past story of Mary to our current acts of devotion to Jesus. Revelation 5 informs us that our sacrificial, costly prayers and songs literally ascend in the spirit like fragrant oil 
in the very throne room of God, in the immediate presence of the Lamb. Let's look at this verse. Revelation 5.8. Now when Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Notice those three words, before the Lamb. Each having a harp and golden bowls. Everyone say golden bowls. Golden bowls full of incense or fragrant oil, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers ascend, your songs ascend in the spirit to the very presence and throne room of the Lamb. I saw in worship in my spirit each one of our songs from a sincere heart. Even if you have like 2% faith, your song is ascending very definitely in the spirit to anoint the lamb. Think about a lamb with fur. Your song is going up and anointing the fur of the lamb. (laughs) That's a reality that Revelation 5 brings out. Your prayers have substance. Your songs aren't just empty words. They actually impart a genuine, weighty, fragrant substance in the spiritual atmosphere. And just like an essential oil diffuser fills an entire room with its unique fragrance, right? So too your song and your prayer fills the throne room of heaven right now with your unique, pleasing, fragrant aroma. Each one of you, just like you have unique DNA, unique fingerprint, unique voice, Each one of you has a unique fragrance to the Lamb. Isn't that amazing? Now, we all know by experience, if we hang out in a room for a long time that has a certain fragrance, we're going to leave that room smelling like whatever room we were just in, good or bad. There's a room filled with smoke, people smoking, you're going to smell like smoke. There's a room full of beautiful fragrance of spikenard, you're going to smell like that fragrance. Well, think about Jesus right now in heaven. He's been up there for 2,000 years, patiently waiting to come back to the earth. (laughs) He's been surrounded and saturated with the incense and the oil of his people's prayers and songs of love and devotion. And I believe, guys, I believe that Jesus really will smell like our unique fragrances of worship and prayer when he comes back to the earth. Just like Jesus, think about it with the cross. Jesus went to the cross smelling like Mary's worship and prayer. I believe he's going to come back anointed with our songs and our prayers of devotion. He's going to come back smelling like us, just like he smelled like Mary. He's going to come back anointed and smelling like a billion songs and a billion prayers from his people throughout the last 2,000 years. So let's be like Mary. Let us waste our fragrant oil at his feet, knowing that it's going to a real place and a real lamb in heaven, and it's really moving his heart. Let us obey the first commandment. Keep it in first place in our daily lives, and in so doing, literally move the heart of God. Amen? All right. The second practical way we can move the heart of God through giving him our oil, guys, this is so simple. Everyone can do it. if you have the Holy Spirit. Everyone can do it. What is it? It's by simply saying and singing his name. Saying and singing the name of Jesus actually moves God's heart through oil. We're going to see this in a second. Now, how is saying or singing his name related to oil, you may ask? 
Here we go. Song of Solomon 1, verse 3. The bride is singing this phrase to Jesus. He says, because of the fragrance of your good ointments, Jesus, your name is ointment or fragrant oil poured forth. The very name of Jesus is ointment through our mouths poured forth onto his heart and to others. This verse tells us plainly that God's own name is like a beautiful, fragrant oil poured out. So when we simply speak and sing his most pleasing and beautifully fragrant name, we are in a sense giving the oil of the name of God back to God. Now everyone in this room, speaking by the Spirit of God, can say the name of Jesus with faith and love. Everyone, that, the bar is so low there that you can move his heart. You say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you're beautiful. Jesus, you're kind. Jesus, help. That all moves his heart. Isn't that amazing? God's own name pleases himself. God's own name moves his own heart because his name in the spirit pours forth a very real fragrant ointment. Now, Dale Carnegie a human behavior expert said this. He says, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Everyone's favorite word in this room is their own name. When you hear your name, it releases dopamine and serotonin in your brain. It really does. And it engenders trust and compassion. That's why it's so important to remember people's name." And address them by their name. I'm not very good at that, but I want to be better. So this burst of excitement, it makes us happy when we hear our name. So think about Jesus in heaven. When he hears his most perfect and beautiful name spoken in faith and love and honor through our mouths. Think how beautifully pleasing that is to him. And this is why it's one of the most egregious sins is to use the Lord's name in vain. It's because his name is so holy. It's so perfect. It's so powerful. His name alone, demons flee. His name alone brings healing and deliverance. That's why we should never use his name casually or in vain. But when we speak it in faith and hope and love and sincerity, his heart is invigorated. You can invigorate the heart of Jesus by simply saying and singing his name. Isn't that cool? That's the second way we can move God's heart through our oil. The third way that we can move the heart of God with oil is by intentionally cultivating. Everyone say intentionally cultivating. A biblical understanding of the end times in order to build up a reserve supply of intimacy, readiness, and eager anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. That's a mouthful. So I'm going to say it again. So let's pay attention. I'm going to pay attention too. <laughs> the third way that we can move the heart of God with our oil is by intentionally cultivating a biblical understanding of the end times. Basically getting oil from what the Bible has to say about that final generation before Jesus comes back in order to build up a reserve supply, like a whole a cabinet full of oil or however, whatever analogy you want to use, a whole basement full of vials of oil. A reserve supply of intimacy, nearness with Jesus, and readiness and eager anticipation for his second coming. This is the oil in the lamps that's typified in Matthew 25. Everyone say Matthew 25. 
That's a passage, you, again, you can't read enough. In Matthew 25, there were five wise believers who had enough oil for the end times. And they were found by Jesus when he came back, watching and waiting and ready. They were ready for Jesus' return. And because of their intentional preparation, these five wise believers pleased and moved the heart of Jesus and were welcomed into eternal fellowship forever in heaven. Well, right alongside those five wise ones who moved God's heart were also five other people. These were people who were considered unwise. They were real people in the end-time church. They were in the church. They were virgins. They were spiritually virgins, meaning they were in the church, believers. But they did not intentionally cultivate and prepare enough oil to last them through the delay and the disappointment of the end times. These five unwise Believers eventually withered and fell away from the faith as the great crises and snares promised for the last decades came upon the whole earth. This is so sobering. These five were part of that tragic number whose agape love grew cold because lawlessness abounded at such an extreme rate. So again, the oil typified here in Matthew 25 is that necessary stockpile of intimacy, readiness, and eager anticipation for the return of Jesus. Now, how was this oil produced? An innocence purchased. How did, how did they buy this oil? It was through long hours, again, time, given to cultivating a biblical understanding of Jesus' master plan for the end times. This oil was hard-pressed and fought for, and it really does impact the heart of God when you do this. It set up these believers to be overcomers in the years and decades to come. And I believe there's people in this room who will see the return of the Lord. I really do. It might be the little ones. It might even be my dad's age. But I believe it's coming soon. That's not, again, it's not a prophecy, but I do believe he's coming very soon. Waylon even brought that out with your word of encouragement. Getting this oil of end-time understanding from the Bible sets us up to be overcomers and eventually to rule and reign with Jesus forever. These real choices, these real acts of our will to buy the oil of intimacy, the oil of readiness and eager anticipation for his return really do please the heart of Jesus. And how do we know this? Because he let those five wise believers into eternal fellowship forever. It pleased him to the point where he joyfully welcomed them in to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is good and noble oil to stock up. And you can text me. I have a resource that points you to many more resources that help you understand the end time storyline. You can text me. My number is 512-538-4099. There's also my card out in the lobby if you need it later. You can text me and I'll send you a resource that helps you go deep in the end time understanding from the Bible. Okay? All right, that was our third way we can move, move God's heart with our oil. So our fourth and final way that we can move God's heart with our oil. And these may be, this final way might be the most encouraging and empowering moving God's heart verse in the whole Bible. These verses are all about the smallest acts of our will. He who is faithful in little will be entrusted with much, these verses describe the smallest acts of obedience and how they radically move the heart of God. The smallest acts. Now, the reason why I save these verses for the end, 
because these verses essentially sum up everything we just talked about in poetical language. Okay, so here we go. It's from Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And this is God speaking to us. And just imagine Jesus himself. You're the only one in the room right now. Jesus himself is speaking these verses straight to your heart. He says this to us, his bride. Again, related to our smallest acts of obedience. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes towards me, with one link of your necklace, you have ravished my heart. How beautiful is your love. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love to Jesus and the fragrance of your perfume so much better than all the spices on the planet. Wow. The heart of God is ravished with one look from the eyes of our heart, even if it's 2% again, 2% faith. One look from our eyes ravishes the heart of God. One link of our necklace, what does that mean? Well, the neck typified in the Bible is the will. It's our decision-making. You know, the people of Israel were stiff-necked people. That meant they didn't really obey God. They didn't want to obey God with their will. But Jesus looks at the smallest acts of our will in obedience to him, motivated by love for Jesus, as ravishing to him. The smallest acts of our will, the one link of our necklace to not yell at our two-year-old when they do the same thing five times over again. (laughs) No, for real. That's one link of your necklace to keep your cool and keep your peace. And you can think about a million different examples of the one link of your necklace, the one small act of obedience. The heart of God is ravished by one look of our eyes in worship and prayer and one little small act of our will. What does ravished mean? Imagine the heart of God as I read these synonyms for ravished. This is what God's heart in heaven literally does when you look at him with the smallest amount of faith. And you do that one thing in his name to bring him glory that no one else sees. Look at what God's heart does. It is violently seized with delight. Literally, you could render it, his heart is caused to beat faster. Maybe the first time you saw your wife, Stevie, your your heart was caused to beat faster. Right? I mean, like, this is what God's heart does with one look from us. The smallest act of obedience, this is what happens. His heart literally beats faster. (laughs) It's in perfect rhythm, but somehow his heart is violently seized. His heart is stolen, captivated, enraptured. Love that word. Undone. (laughs) Thrilled. Delighted. This is what one look, little look. He sets the bar so low. (laughs) I'm so glad he does, (laughs) because I need that bar really low on most days. (laughs) This is amazing. Marissa, you can come up. We're going to look at two quick little stories from the Bible that show us the one act of the will. The one act of, of our will moves his heart in these seven ways, right? From Acts 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. 
who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This was a righteous man. Verse 3, about 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision, and I believe the Lord has this vision for every single person in this room this morning and watching online. 3 p.m., he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, Darby. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So the angel said to him, your prayers, Cornelius, the smallest acts of your movements, that one look of your eyes in prayer, and your alms, that smallest act of giving. Again, when no one else saw, heaven saw it. And what did they do in heaven for little old Cornelius? They set up a memorial for him. For every time he gave an alms, for every time he looked at God with the eyes of, of faith in his heart. They set up a memorial. Now we know if any of us have been to like the Lincoln Memorial or Holocaust Memorial or any other memorial, even the memorial of our past loved ones when we go and visit their grave, we know that memorials move us. And this verse tells us that this memorial was set up before God. This was a memorial for God, for Cornelius' life wasn't even primarily for Cornelius or anyone around him. <laughs> That's how pleased and invested and how much attention he pays to us. The smallest acts of our will demonstrated here by a little alms given to a poor person or the little prayer that he made. He sets up a memorial with Cornelius' name on it forever in heaven. <laughs> how amazing is this? This is one look of the eyes and one link of the necklace in one story. The one look was prayer and the one link was his giving. So imagine the memorials he has set up for you in heaven, even for what happened in worship today and what's happened as you've paid attention to his word through me. He's setting up memorials for you all the time. I believe that. Now we can summarize from these two verses in Song of Solomon and the examples we just looked at, we can conclude with these big truths about God. Let's go ahead and stand up to our feet. We can conclude these big overarching truths about God. What is God like? There's no one like him. We sang it. Well, God is the God of the big target, <laughs> the low bar when it comes to pleasing his heart. When you're sincere, when you're sincere, he's the God of the big target, the low bar. He's the God who's easy to please when we come to him in sincerity, who always wants to be around us. He's the God with a good memory, <laughs> who loves to remember the things we did in his name and for his glory. He's the God who rewards generously. He's the God who's moved by the oil in our hearts. He's the God who's moved with our costly sacrifice of love expressed through our devotion and worship and prayer. He's the God who's moved by his own name spoken through our lips. <laughs> He's the God who's moved by our eager anticipation, like a puppy dog waiting for his master to get home. That's like us waiting at the window of eternity, waiting for him to come back. He's moved by that when we want him to come home. And he's moved by when we go deep in the biblical understanding of the end times. And he's moved by one look of our eyes, the eyes of our heart. One look violently seizes his heart, causes it to beat faster. And the smallest act of our obedience to him 
based out of our love for the glory of his name. He's moved. He's moved. I just stated the four ways that God has moved by our obedience and really by the oil from our lives. That's what the whole message was about. So let's respond this morning. Let's respond. And the response I have for us, you can do all four of these every single day. If you need to take a picture of how God is moved by the oil from your heart, go ahead and take a picture. You can text me and I'll send you this graphic or I'll send you my notes. We can do all four of these daily, but today I felt like the Lord showed me a picture of this altar filled with Marys. There might only be one or two or three Marys in this room by name. But in the spirit, God wants to give heart transplants this morning. He wants to give oil changes in people's hearts to exchange the oil of bitterness and disappointment and feeling like you can never please God. He wants to exchange the oil in your hearts for oil of sweetness and the oil of the biblical reality that one small act of your will, one look, moves his heart. So he has oil changes up here in your heart. He has heart transplants going from bitterness to sweetness, from feeling like you never measure up to, oh my goodness, do you realize how much you measure up in his eyes? So let's do what Mary did. As we sing this song, I want to invite anyone who wants to respond that you want to live a life of eternal impact like Mary. And this isn't related to other people. This is the heart of God. This is what you're going to be evaluated the most. It's not even what you did with other people. It's how you impacted his heart and obeyed his heart. You might have two people that ever listened to you in your whole life. But if your heart response was full towards God, it, you're gonna, your life's going to look like Billy Graham in eternity. It really will. So if you want to make a life of eternal impact like Mary did, where he starts to tell your story like he told Mary's story, to say, this is what I want. This is the heart response that I want. I want you to come to the front right now. I want you to come to the front. And I see people kneeling down. This is what I saw in the Spirit. I saw people kneeling down like Mary knelt down. You know, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. She took the posture of humility. So I saw people kneeling and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I saw a different pair of Jesus' feet for every single person who would come up here. If the altar's filled up, you can just line up behind them. Or if you need to kneel at your seat, you can. But I saw for everyone who would kneel or sit, and if you can't kneel or sit, that's okay, I understand. But I saw for everyone who wanted to respond with this life of Mary commitment to make an eternal impact on the very heart of God, I saw a different pair of the feet of Jesus promise for every single person. His feet are always waiting and ready for you to pour your oil on them. Even if you're in your car, if you're in this room, if you're in a different country, his feet are always there waiting for you to pour your oil, the oil of your song and your love on him. So imagine in the eyes of your heart, Jesus' feet right now, and you get a chance to do what Mary did. And this isn't about anyone watching you or anyone else. This is about you and Jesus. And you get a chance to pour your oil on his feet. So let's sing to him right now. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. 
to download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.